I can't control God. It's a risk you take, you know? I can't control the wind yeah. or God. So then it's, five seconds then I will call out the tour director, but I'm just saying that if the wind blows, there's nothing I can do about that. I can't control God. Talk to him. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Surf. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. Episode 295. We're so close to 300. It's been, a, it's been a long and winding road. Leads me back to your door. <laughs> did you just make a Beatles reference? I did. That is crazy. We're in the midst of the five-week Indian Wells tournament. Uh, we've just, I think we're like getting to the round of 16 now. Yeah, the I think it's the top half playing today to complete the round of 16s. I always forget it's a huge draw. It takes up two pages. It looks like a slam draw. There are 32 seeds. That that all get buys in the first round for some reason. <laughs> right. I know it's your favorite time of year and you're eager to get into it. But before that, there are a couple of housekeeping notes. One that you have to wear and own Oh, it. yes. So on the last episode, and a few of you pointed this out, and I thank you, I will never be mad about people pointing out an error. I said that Medvedev was the first player to win three titles in three consecutive weeks since I think it was like 2011, Andy Murray. That is false. That is so false. And I should have known. Kasparu did it in 2021 when most of the folks were in Japan for the Olympics he won three clay tournaments in three consecutive weeks. I will say this is just a lesson to me again about media literacy. Be so careful about the sources you use because there is fake news everywhere. And that's, that is on me. I was sloppy. But even worse than that, you set me up because you wrote <laughs> down the agenda. And I, I think I even asked you on air, oh, is this right? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. No, you said three consecutive tournaments. I was like, no, three consecutive weeks. Anyway, there are a lot of dodgy tennis websites out there, and I'm not going to name the one because I'm embarrassed. And the other thing before we get into Indian Wells is we just want to thank you all so much for your, uh, your well wishes and your condolences for the passing of Vincent, our beagle, and, our, and the mascot of this podcast. Uh, I... I definitely, like, I did not want to talk about it with you all, and that's not about you. That's just my personality, but I'm really glad I did. Like, I found it healing in a way, so thank you. I know you say you don't like Indian Wells, but you've already been watching quite a bit of it. That's true. You know, the I don't like Indian Wells thing, it's so played out at this point. I I just have to drop it, I think. Oh, you're ready to, you're ready to put it behind you? Not completely. It's very sad to say that uh, I was always a staunch believer that Miami was the fifth slam. And for a while it was, right? For years it was. But that that ship has sailed. Ron DeSantis put the final nail in that coffin. It is not, it's 12 feet under at this point. I mean, for years that hasn't been the case. Like many, many years. <laughs> I, I was still holding on uh, because of... I, you know why I was holding on? Because Serena has seven Miami titles and didn't play Indian Wells for 15 years. And my logic was like, how important could it be, really? Since Larry Ellison bought Indian Wells, by all accounts, the fan experience is incredible. The players obviously love the tournament. It's really gone up in prestige. See? I, I can admit all of that. <laughs> Tennis paradise, they say. The branding is what I object to most, I think, because not, nothing that I see on TV feels like paradise to me. It's like a desert where you have to ship the water in. I, I don't know. One of the things that comes up every year when this tournament is on is the surface. That even though it's in name a hardcore tournament, it plays anything but. Everything but. And... Daniil Medvedev, in particular, has had something to say about that this week. The courts 
seem to play more like a clay court. They're slow, they're gritty, the high, the bounce is high. Medvedev, during his match against Ivashka yesterday, says, I don't accept this. This is not hard courts. They say on the fact sheet it's hard courts. I don't accept it. They are lying to me. This was right before he was about to go for a bathroom break. Mohamed Layani just kind of has to sit here and, and listen to it. He also told Layani that, quote, I'm going to pee as slow as the court is. So you can take 25 minutes. The court is slow. I will go slow. <laughs> I love this tennis player logic. There's nothing for Mo to do here except for kind of just sit there and grin because players are going to have to get out their frustration in whatever way possible. This to me was hilarious. Well, Mo tried to tell him that, Daniil, you're a professional. Please act like it. <laughs> Coach Liani again. In spite of all that, he did extend his win streak by one more match up to 16. He does have to play that guy next, who Logic says is better on slow courts, has a ton of success on clay. Medvedev has only ever reached the fourth round here and has only done it once. But then I realized Zverev has only reached the quarterfinals once and the fourth round once. So I expected his, his results to be better here. There are a few players who've had really good weeks so far in Indian Wells. The top two that come to mind, Emma Raducanu just beat Beatrice Haradmaya in three sets. This after beating Magdalenette in the second round in straight sets. And then in the first round, she also beat Kovinic in straight sets. So that's three good wins in a row for her. Two over top 20 seeds playing and looking pretty good right and the week started weird right like she was recovering from tonsillitis there were reports that it was unclear if she was going to play this tournament at all when she went out in her first match it wasn't great and of course people were criticizing her for playing with kind of the remnants of a virus you can really hurt yourself right depending on what it is i mean she's had every ailment and affliction under the sun yeah so suffice it to say, I was surprised that she's still here and beat Haddad Maya. Stan Wawrinka, just this second, beat Holgaruna. Oh, that's big. Okay, because Stan led in the second set and he, lost it. He was up 6-2 and big in the second set, and then big again in the tiebreak in the second set and lost before hanging with Holger in the third set, serving from behind the entire third set. And keeping up with him. Round of 16. I picked Stan as one of the breakout players this year. Kind of a cheat pick. but <laughs> You picked a 36-year-old as the breakout player. 37, I think. 30- oh, okay. But he's playing top ball again, Stan. Andy Murray. And now this is something to commemorate. Won a match in straight sets. Beating Radu Albot. And now he plays countryman Jack Draper. That's tonight at like 9 o'clock our time. It'll be going on the same time as Svantec Andrescu. Which is something I really want to see. The TBS fave, Muhova, and, uh, and many many people's fave, is into the round of 16 with some impressive wins over Azarenka and Martina Trevisan. Somehow this is actually her Indian Wells debut. I'm sure you could go back and look and see that it coincided with the many, one of the many injuries that she's <laughs> it had. must have. As has been the case for a while now, as tournaments progress, hell, even in the early rounds of matches, the draws on the WTA side are just that much more bountiful than on the ATP side. We mentioned that Sviantec is playing Andrescu tonight. The winner of that will play Emma Raducanu, who just won. We'll skip over that next part in that bracket. Are you are you skipping over Kirstea? I am. Someone who has also had very impressive wins this mm-hmm. week. Yes. Jabur is back after missing Doha and Dubai. Didn't look that great in her first match. Jabur beat Frech and will now play Vondrosova. The winner of that playing Mohova, Rybakina, possibly against Kasatkina in the run of 16. The matches that are completely set up on the bottom half. Sakari against Pliskova. Kvitova against Pagula, Coco Goff against Peterson. Okay, maybe not quite the the pedigree of opponent as some of the other players. 
And then there's Krejcikova against Sabalenka. So this tournament is delivering on the women's side so far. On the men's side, one of the things that really came into focus for me again was just how exciting Ben Shelton is. There were moments in his first round match where I like yelled at the TV screen because some of those kick serves were just absurd. Yeah, that was actually very shocking. I don't know if it was the angle of the camera or what, but I do not know how you get a serve to kick that high. That Taylor Fritz was having a lot of trouble with it. And he's a tall dude. Like he has to jump. Again, this this probably has a fair bit to do with the surface, the grittiness of the surface, yeah. that it's playing a lot like a clay court. But he's doing some things on a tennis court that are new in some ways and amazing in others. <laughs> are those mutually exclu- exclusive? No, I mean, I just don't want to make it seem like he's some kind of pioneer. It's just that <laughs> he's doing stuff that we haven't seen in a while. And I tweeted the other night that, you know, I've taken the... Camila Giorgi approached the ATP for a while. That you don't don't follow men's tennis? Correct. Well, obviously I do, but you know, I'm not mm-hmm. intently doing so. And that I hadn't been really excited about a new player in a long time until Ben Shelton. And here come a couple people. What about Alcaraz? What about it? What, what about him? <laughs> like, he is an exciting young player for some. He just doesn't excite me. This is my level of excitement. You know, I'm allowed to to like and be impressed by whoever moves me. Like it's just so bizarre to me. Like yes, yeah, Carlos mean, is number one, has been number one, has won a slam, he's 19. He's amazing, all those things. Does he do it for me? Currently, no. What is what is there else to talk about? <laughs> I agree. I mean, you're excited by what, like, what excites you about a tennis player is hard to identify. It's very personal. And tennis clearly has told us that if you are not excited by Carlos, you are not watching. And I mean, yeah, Carlos is exciting and cool, and I'm glad he's there. I mean, I said on the last episode that he, <laughs> the ATP kind of needs him for its survival. And I wasn't joking about that. But... You just stand the players who you respond to. I'm sure these are some of the same people who would have had the same response instead of Alcaraz telling me about that guy a few years ago. So, whatever. (laughs) Big news from the WTA this week. In a way, we've known it was coming for a while. We'd heard the rumors, but nothing had been official until this week. This deal with CVC Capital Partners has become official. This private equity group has made a $150 million investment, which will go to a new commercial subsidiary called WTA Ventures, which CBC will own a 20% stake in. This uh, WTA Ventures is distinct from the WTA Tour itself. The Tour still has complete control over the Tour itself, but WTA Ventures is going to focus on uh, sponsorships, broadcasting and data rights, gaming, licensing, and NFTs. The idea is WTA Ventures is going to try to find new ways of monetizing new revenue streams for the WTA. So it's not just a dump of cash into the WTA as it is today. The WTA board apparently was a long holdout against this deal. And it appears behind closed doors, one of the assurances they need is that the WTA tour itself was going to remain uninfluenced by CVC Capital Partners. The publicly stated goal is partly to reduce the gap between the commercial rights that male players have been able to secure versus women players. Christopher Clary from New York Times notes that men are earning on average 70% more than women outside of the majors. We knew the pay gap was big. Uh, I, I'm it's not gotten, sure I realize it's it's that big. Well, it's gotten even bigger since the pandemic. Yes. And recall, this is outside of the majors. The majors have equal prize money. We had talked a lot about how the WTA had been hit very badly from pulling out of China, in part because of the Peng Shui situation, uh, in, also in part because China has canceled hundreds of athletic events because of COVID-19. 
Either way, the WTA lost a ton of money. Steve Simon says that this deal is actually not in response to the China catastrophe. He said he was searching for outside capital investment even before the pandemic. This is not the first time that CVC has done something like this. They previously invested in Formula One, having a controlling stake before selling it in 2016. Recently, they acquired a stake in La Liga's commercial arm. They bought an IPL cricket team for 700 million US dollars and has a stake in Six Nations rugby. Yeah, so they have, I mean, they have billions of dollars at their disposal. They're very experienced in sports league ownership or sponsorship. Simon still says that a decision has not been made about returning to China, and then he expects it to be finalized by the end of March. One of their conditions is, well, two of their conditions are they want to have direct contact with Peng, and they want a transparent investigation into the allegations that she made. They have not been met. I don't think that they will be met, especially the latter one. Uh, That would shock me. So if the WTA sticks by its word, I don't think they're going back to China this year, at least. At a very minimum, they need to have a WTA final spot booked and ready well ahead of time. Yes. This was something that Victoria Azarenka pointed to as a big problem a few weeks ago. And having that shorn up by the end of March will give more certainty to the WTA schedule the rest of the way. Yeah. What's been happening over the past year or so is that a lot of the WTA's cash has been used to equalize prize money at non-major events. So this has been like a huge drain on their cash flow. The idea with CBC is that this investment will allow the WTA to tread water, to spend more money on actually marketing the sport. And uh, they say like producing media programming, like branded materials that will market the sport better. I mean, fans are always complaining that WTA does a terrible job promoting itself. And like that costs money, (laughs) you know, over the past few years, they haven't had the luxury of essentially the time and money to spend on that stuff. And that's not an excuse. That's just a reality. Yes. That said, the WTA Twitter account, at the very least, has not been great. <laughs> right. We know, like social media marketing is cheap because they don't pay those people very much. Yeah, there are certainly things they could have been doing. This CVC story happened this week, and it looked like a, a real boon for the WTA. Nice, great news, positive stuff, and then today. <laughs> yes. Today, this story circulated about Lysia Serenko uh, relaying a, basically a narrative about a conversation she had with the head of the WTA, Steve Simon, where he allegedly said, you may have to play players who are in support of the Russian invasion of your country, and essentially you're just going to have to deal with it. Now, this was... That people are entitled to their opinions. Right. She also wanted in certain spots on the calendar to have the WTA maybe put up some of these Ukrainian players longer than they would be technically entitled to because they have nowhere to go. And that was not met with a yes. Well, again, this... Allegedly. I want to... I want to take a beat here because I've seen this reported so recklessly, some of them from major news outlets. This appeared as a first-person narrative in a Ukrainian sports outlet. It was picked up by Ubi Tennis, basically facsimile. There was no reporting at all. There was no attempt to contact the people accused, which is Steve Simon. And people just ran with it. They saw Ubi Tennis' story and they were like, oh, well, I guess it happened. And this really well, but this really bothers me. Should be a red flag rather than a white well, flag. That's what I thought. But the tennis podcast actually did uh, what reporters do, and they reached out to Steve Simon and said, "Like, hey, did this happen? But this person said this thing about you. This is journalism 101. This is 100. It's like pre-journalism. You know what I mean? This person said something about you. Did this happen? And if not, what happened? Those are the basics, guys." 
According to the tennis podcast on Twitter, they said the WTA responded to them saying, quote, first and foremost, we acknowledge the emotions Lacey and all our Ukrainian athletes have and continue to manage during this very difficult period of time. We're witnessing an ongoing horrific war that continues to bring unforeseen circumstances with far-reaching consequences that are affecting the world, as well as the global WTA tour and its members. The WTA has consistently reflected on our full support for Ukraine and strongly condemned the actions that have been brought forth by the Russian government. With this, a fundamental principle of the WTA remains, which is ensuring that individual athletes may participate in professional tennis events based on merit and without any form of discrimination, and not penalized due to the decisions made by the leadership of their country. And there was no way that the WTA was going to comment on a particular conversation that was had behind closed doors. Like, I did not expect that from Steve Simon's response. Uh, we've talked about giving understanding and, and empathy for Ukrainian tennis players, and I want to do that now. I just want there to be some diligence about how things are reported. Lacia's requests were not outrageous, right? That doesn't mean they're going to be granted. Mm-hmm. And I still don't, like, I don't know that anybody knows what the right answer is here. She said that all this has led to anxiety, which forced her to withdraw ahead of our match with, I believe, Sabalenka in Indian Wells. Yes. And she's had a lot of retirements and walkovers recently. And all, you know, all of these stands on Twitter are like, oh, Donna was right. It's like, you're really using this shit to, to basically big up your fave. Like, please get a life. I hope to have some more clarity on this situation, this incident going forward. And um, hopefully Steve has further conversations with Lacia and others. Apparently there's a Ukrainian tennis player group chat that everybody in there knows about what happened with this conversation. Maybe they can work this out behind closed doors to the benefit of everybody involved. Yeah. But this, this response from the WTA harkens to what we saw last summer with Wimbledon and the band players from Russia and Belarus and the support from both tours of those players saying that it is their right as individual players to be able to play these tournaments. That's what I was getting from this. Mm-hmm. And then the tours stripped points of Wimbledon and everybody was mad about that too. So, yeah. I would just it's like it's disappointing to see this type of stenography journalism going around even among supposedly legitimate outlets in tennis it highlights just the lack of real reporting that's you know reporting costs money right it needs to be invested in for once the tennis gods have smiled upon us and our recording schedule (laughs) we are in the middle of this agenda i previously said that stan just beat holger and now we have caught up with what actually happened at the end of that match we just took a break and mercifully were sent the video of Holger and Stan at the net. And there was a handshake, whatever. And then Holger said something and he said, you got nothing to say now? And then Stan is looking all like, huh? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? <laughs> <laughs> this is a callback to their last meeting when Stan allegedly gave him a lecture at net after <laughs> yes. Holger won that match. Holger essentially telling him that he needs to get his shit together and be more professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holger just cannot help himself, and he's not—he's not beating the whiny brat allegations anytime soon. This kind of trash talk is way more effective when you win, don't you think? Yeah, like you beat somebody, like says something. You have something to send out. Say it. Say it to the whole chest. Well, it happened, you know, after he lost to Rude at the French Open. I did just trademark, copyright, U.S. Patent Office, We Gate, you know, because Stan is a French speaker. That's O-U-I, We Gate, uh, just in case anyone wants to use it. Like Taylor Swift, I own it. Well, that previous match was at the Paris Indoor Masters last year, where Holger beat him in a third set tiebreak. Mm. And then now, today... Stan flips the table, winning 7-5 in the third. I mean, the whole thing is just a complete mess. (laughs) 
Yes. Like you get alternating days of news about Hogaruna. This, P- I don't, I don't remember where it was from. Tennis.com or Tennis Now interview with him, and you get, you know, his psyche, how he gets up for matches, what he learns from losses, all this stuff, and you you see him putting forth the elements of the the roadmap toward being a champion, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he takes himself down a notch or 20 with stuff like this. Well, I have no doubt that he will be a champion, honestly. I think that a lot of the people that we venerate have really ugly personalities in real life. To be a sports champion, a lot of people are just selfish and kind of mean. Mm. You know, what? I, like, we don't know these people. We don't hang out with them. A lot of them, do you think Jimmy Connors is, like, nice? Well, I think that that story has already been written. <laughs> right. But these sort of uh, ugly personality traits in, in real life lend themselves to being really effective in competition. Mm-hmm. So I think Holger is a very serious tennis player. Uh, will I root for him? Probably not. And I think a lot of the people who root for him started doing so ironically. Last week I compared Stefanos to Martina Hingis. He Holger is Martina Hingis. Yes. Like that is the absolutely. apt comparison. Well, except for though. The well, results. I mean the the success might come, right? And but there are so few prodigies in men's tennis versus women's. Well, if he's happy with the villain edit, he keeps giving it to himself, so <laughs> you cannot blame World of Wonder on this one. Denis Shapovalov. Dennis released a, an essay in the Players' Tribune and a video to go along with it this past week, arguing in favor of equal prize money across both tours. He said he was inspired by both his mom and his girlfriend, Miriam Bjorklund. Uh, his mom was a professional tennis player for the USSR. She was his coach for a long time. You, you'll recognize her from being in the stands. Uh, just a, a very formidable presence and Dennis is, in his way, in kind of his, uh, his like, surfer bro himbo demeanor. His himbo demeanor. He is bothered. He's yes. bothered that mm-hmm. women have such a more difficult time making a living in the sport. And so he argued that there should be pay equity across men's and women's tennis. People are mad that he didn't provide uh, an income statement and a balance sheet and a whole business plan to support this opinion. He framed it in a, you know, some people were like criticizing, oh, this just dawned on you because all of a sudden you have a girlfriend who plays tennis. And I get it. Like, I I obviously get the critiques there. He also spent a, a really long part of this essay praising his mom, saying that, the Federation didn't believe in him. I mean, now he's talking about Tennis Canada. Tennis Canada has a huge stake in him now. But he said, you know, they didn't believe in me. My mom took me out of there. We opened our own tennis academy in a warehouse. We didn't have any money. And she knew my game better than anyone. Like, she's a great coach. And I love that. Like, I just, it's heartwarming to see that, obviously. All that praise heaped on his mom. And so, sure, you can criticize the way he happened upon this opinion. The point is, this is an opinion that, uh, at least publicly, has been very, very rare amongst male tennis players who perceive that they have something to lose in this equation. How many of them have there been? Can you even count them on one hand? Andy Murray? Uh, It's certainly (laughs) not Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic. It is definitely not. And they weren't even fence-sitters. Right, two of them both shared opinions to the contrary. Even to this day, the PTPA says we are here to fight for the woman as well, and they still give you a vague, beating around the bush description of what that entails without specificity. Yeah, that hasn't specifically said we want pay equity. Period. Point blank. Yeah, they didn't say that fully. Dennis relayed this story in the video an anecdote where he was talking to Miriam and she had just qualified for the main draw of a tournament. And he said, oh, good, you're going to get paid. You're going to get, you know, at least a decent sum of money for this. And she said, what are you talking about, Dennis? Like, you really don't know what's going on. As we say in Jamaica, you don't know what time clock a strike. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's, she's like, I'm going to be making such little money like from this tournament. And he's like, bro. He's like, what? <laughs> That's crazy. Dennis is so like unintentionally funny, but I'm fully with him on this. I, I, I can't praise him enough for speaking out. Uh, ben Rothenberg said that you'd be surprised at the number of players who agree with Dennis, especially in North America. But and, who just haven't said right, it publicly. Where are they? Like, I, I believe him, but where are they? Why haven't they said anything? And that silence in of itself is telling. Right. So, you, I mean, you support it, but you don't care enough to make your opinion public. Because, you know, I mean, you're going to get tons of trolls. There were tons of amateur economists in the replies, of course. And we always hear, you know, it's always like that we're just not smart enough. We can't keep up. Uh, you don't understand markets. All it, It's not discrimination. It's just markets. It's crazy how when you're born and you're assigned the male sex at birth, that that birth certificate comes with a master's in economics. <laughs> Right, but even even real economists want us to believe that economics is a science, that these rules are are like the the laws of physics or of chemistry of chemical bonds. These are these are man made cre- creations, right? Like a market is not something that exists outside of human intervention. And so we hear like. Well, just look at it in an analytical way. There's not enough money to go around, and the men earn more. Okay, but we're talking about markets. Then we also see that a TV network that has the rights to both men's and women's tennis will be playing, like, court 16 men when a top women's match is going on. How are people supposed to see it, first of all? How are people supposed to get excited about women's tennis when the programming, as we know, is the choice of whoever has purchased the rights, right? So you can say, oh, the WTA gets crappy TV rights. Okay, but when they sell the rights, the broadcaster has free reign to choose which matches to broadcast. And so you're telling me that in every instance, they've made the correct choice by showing the 100th ranked male player over a top 10 women's player. And if they make a different choice it's to show pickleball and so that is the man-made intervention into the markets it's manipulation of the markets well the, i mean there's sense. no such thing as a free first of all i don't think a free market is the ideal state but there, also there's no such thing as a free market right there's always ideological decisions being made at every step so what bugs me about this economics argument is that like it should be clear that ideology is always coming first ideology comes first in my argument but i have the uh, the guts to admit it that i am i'm starting from ideology and then making an argument the thing that like the economics bros won't tell you is so are they right and a lot of these people aren't even invested in tennis period no they're invested in the subjugation of women Period. Point right. blank. It's like they sniffed on the wind that women were somehow getting a better deal. It's like, we're coming. We are coming with our capes on. The bat phone rang <laughs> and the lights over Gotham lit up. <laughs> but in all seriousness, like the the financial argument is a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because women's tennis it doesn't have the eyeballs. It doesn't have the capital investment that men's does. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And some people don't want to look at all of the reasons for that. At the end of the day, if all things are equal, who's more popular? I don't know. And further, I'm not going to blame Dennis for who his coach is uh, and, and what kind of views Peter Polanski holds. But it is kind of funny to me that Peter Polanski has shared <laughs> views that are very anti-prize money. He's since made his Twitter private. But I remember a number of choice tweets over the years, uh, one of which somebody screenshotted, thankfully. This was uh, in response to a tweet from Ben Rothenberg in 2019. Polanski said, yes, yes, yes. Let's make pay equal across the board. Why stop at men versus women? 
Challenger should have the same prize money as the Slams. We are hitting the same yellow ball on the same court, so why not? Let's do it. Woo. That was all sarcastic, obviously. And the way that he made this argument, it was like, well, let's pay chickens the same amount of money if they pay they play tennis. Like it was the most ridiculous thing that he had ever heard that men and women should be paid the same. He's been interviewed a bunch of times about he did like the lucky loser slam. He made it into all four slams as a lucky loser. That's kind of like his claim to fame. He reached 110 as his highest ranking. He benefited from wild cards into the Canada Masters a number of times. If you're going to be like that, right? If you're going to say that's the most ridiculous thing you ever heard, then why are you why are you entitled to the same proportion of prize money as someone like Novak Djokovic is? Who's coming to your match? Like if you want to if you want to be like that, like Maria Sharapova said, why are we paying you what Maria Sharapova would make in a first round match? Because the the interest is not there. Let's talk about the markets again. The markets are the markets when they benefit your position. And so to your point, people are bringing the ideology to the argument and finding whatever haphazard reasons to support it afterward. Because even if you come at it with, oh, well, this particular tournament, the men definitely had higher viewership. That may not be the case next week. It may not be the case at the US Open next year. At every turn, you're putting that ideology first because there is no concrete evidence to back that up at all times at every turn and have it be scientific right like we're not obtuse here we realize that the the atp is generating way more revenue right now they have more money the question is is this a natural law like is this just the natural state of things or is there a time when those barriers being removed women's tennis generates the same or more amount of interest than men's i was pleased with this development from Dennis because I've had a very tough stretch with following his career. <laughs> it's been insufferable for me to watch him play tennis. The inability to string to get together matches, uh, match wins, the petulance, the obnoxious behavior, the smashing of rackets, the cussing out umpires. Like This is somebody who has not matured on court at all, seemingly, in the last few years. And so... To have this come out from him off court, I welcomed it. And then he <laughs> played his first match at Indian Wells. At Indian Wells. Oh, in see. Indian Wells. Oh, see, because it was the in-in tripped me up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was it was catastrophic. Yeah. I, I mean, he's someone who has so much talent, obviously. The decision to fire Jamie Delgado was surprising. That was reportedly in Rome, uh, 2022 or after Rome. That was the same tournament where he told the crowd to shut the fuck up. Remember that? He was going through it then. And now he's with Peter Polanski. Like, I just don't get, I don't really get the logic. Uh, Delgado is a much more accomplished coach. He lost to Ugo Umber in straight sets, 7-5-6-4, and obliterated his racket on court. Hopefully he can get his shit together. Right, because there's so much going for him. And he loves animals. You know, he's doing like the animal adoption thing, like Davidovich Fokina. There are a few things going for him. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> anyway, I uh, I saw this today. I wanted to mention it. Just give a shout out to Sloan Stevens. Uh, the Sloan Stevens Foundation won an award from Sports Business Journal called the Celebration of Service Award. This is uh, acknowledging the work that her foundation has been doing since 2013. Uh, it's located in Compton, California, and the foundation works with kids in certain target communities to provide educational support, physical fitness programs, uh, tennis programs, mentorship, and their goal is to address poverty, health inequity, and the lack of educational opportunities among at-risk youth. In 2015, they launched a program called Love Love Compton, which is run alongside the uh, public school district in Compton, California, and it provides like tennis coaching, equipment, tutoring, And the idea is just to break down the barriers of entry to tennis. They've actually refurbished or built 50 tennis courts in the area. Public tennis courts. Yes. So I just wanted to like big up Sloan Stevens. This is amazing. Congratulations. Love this work you're doing. Breakpoint season two has officially been greenlit. This comes after we talked about full swing on the last episode. 
we compared the golf docuseries to the tennis one. And now we find out, officially, we'd heard rumors, but we know now that season two will debut in 2024. If this upcoming season is better, if it gets more eyeballs on it, maybe this will become a every January there's new episodes kind of thing. I don't I don't know. Yeah. I hope that they learned the lessons of Full Swing. Uh, the storytelling just worked. I don't necessarily think that golf is a better sport for storytelling. I, I just think that Breakpoint needs to uh, explore different areas, right? Like be a little more creative with, with its storytelling. There's a lot there. So this all led me to wonder... Who are some of the players that you would like to see featured in a season two? I don't really know, to be honest. I'll let you take this. Oh, you're just gonna just gonna cop out just like that. Yes. Well, I'm gonna start with the men, and then you have a think about the woman, and then maybe you can contribute some to that. Okay. Mm-hmm. It would be a dereliction of duty if they did not approach and try and convince Carlos Alcaraz to join this programming. Right? He is for all intents and purposes, the face of the ATP for the next decade, right? If you claimed that one of the the organizing themes of season one was who are who are the next who's players? Next? Who's yeah. next? The sport's been dominated by these players, but you missed the big one. Mm-hmm. Can I interrupt for a second and say how difficult it's been to get like real reporting on this? Because the official press release said they will be covering Carlos Alcaraz's historic run to the U.S. Open title. But that doesn't necessarily mean they are following him directly. They might be following someone else, but Carlos won the U.S. Open. Mm, I totally forgot that more an, another batch of episodes yes, was coming. A, a big batch is coming. Uh, yeah, so maybe maybe he will be featured heavily. Right, but they haven't committed either way. And they won't tell you who's coming next year either. Ben Shelton, no-brainer for yeah. me. You, you said no? Yes. No, oh. no, totally. <laughs> uh, Medvedev, Rublev, Yibing Wu, Stan Wawrinka, Dominic Team. Two veterans at different stages of their careers that have built-in narratives right there. Stan on one final push... Dominic coming back from the abyss of injury. Love it. Is that everybody? For the men. That's, oh. that, that was just off the top of my head. You know what I like that Full Swing did is they found like a losery golfer. Um, Joel Damon? Yeah, but who was really good natured and there was nothing to dislike about the guy. It's just that he has an abundance of talent and hasn't maybe tapped into it. And said, well, maybe I'm okay being a top 100 golfer. Are you saying they should get into Jack's shoe? (laughs) No. No. But uh, honestly, I don't know. That's an episode that really worked for me. And I don't know who that person is in tennis. Because it's not Nick Kyrgios. You know what I mean? Like, he's someone with an abundance of talent who is also just really nasty. Joel Damon, it was easy to root for him. On the woman's side, Dasha Kasatkina. 100%. 100%. I was going to say that. The thing is, like, Netflix needs to pay Sofia Tartakova. Kazakina and Rublev's documentary outsold. Mm-hmm. It sure was did. better than anything Netflix did. Get all the Lindas together. <laughs> all all the of them. Lindas. <laughs> you, you put all the Lindas in there, you'll get a story about at least one of them, if not cumulatively. <laughs> I know you are, you know, tired of the Raducanu noise, mm. but... You want to bring ice to tennis? You got the British market right there. Yeah, I, I mean, I personally be skipping that one, but... And then maybe somebody like a Clara Towson. Mm-hmm. What about Serena Williams? Sir, be serious. <laughs> I'm in such denial. Oh my God. It's Indian Wells, which means it's Lawanda time. It's Lawanda season. This has been such an interesting development. Tennis players are actually posing with Lawanda for clout. Like, she is the one with the cachet in this relationship. Tennis media is doing it. Yes. Everybody's doing it. Amazing. She's being interviewed with segments. I watched one today about how to secure a selfie. What are the steps? (laughs) What are the technical steps? And she gave, like, six of them. (laughs) I, I mean, she has been out here hustling for a long time. I'm not hustling to make money. No. Hustling to be a fan. Because she loves tennis and she just wanted to say hi to players. 
Um, Luana is really, really sweet. Like we we got to meet her in Cincinnati before she was super famous. <laughs> and not only is she out here seemingly at all the player practices getting all the selfies, but she seems to be at all the matches too. Like you're watching matches and there's Lawanda on the TV screen. <laughs> How does she do it all? Well, I know. And now the cameras find her. That's true. Some ranking updates, some pretty big ones. Rafael Nadal will lose his top 10 streak. It has been confirmed. We don't know where he will rank at the end of Indian Wells, but by next Monday, his 912-week streak in the top 10 will come to an end. Dating back to 2005. It's the record by over 120 weeks, which was held by Jimmy Connors. Uh, It's a sad day for us, but... He doesn't have a lot of points to defend before Roland Garros. He won't drop any points until May. And before the French Open rolls around, he only has 270 points to defend. So there, if he comes back and he plays okay, there's a good chance he comes back into the top 10. We have video now. We've mm-hmm. seen video of him practicing again. So Rafa is coming. Another milestone, uh, Iga Swiatek has become the ninth woman in WTA history to spend 50 consecutive weeks at number one. It's a small club, what she's in right now. We have a couple of injury updates, one that we came across ourselves and then one that was asked of us. First, Annette Contevate. She had been dealing with back problems dating back to last year. She came back in February but then had to shut it down again. She has degenerative problems to the discs in her lumbar spine. She's getting physio, but knows she will probably never be totally free of the injury again. I feel you. Yeah, definitely something you can relate to. Her ranking is now down to number 61. This is somebody who was up to number two at one point last year, played that just incredible electric match with Serena Williams at the U.S. Open that I was present for. We were asked to provide an update on Jen Brady with Blaine Climati saying tennis is the only sport with zero injury updates. And it often feels that way, doesn't it? It does. And I'll tell you, like, it was hard to find recent news about Jen Brady. She was a Grand Slam finalist not very long ago, a Grand Slam semifinalist in the major before that. Somebody who was promising to become a really important player on tour and she just disappeared her last match was in august 2021 the most recent kind of peep we heard was last november she did an interview with the tennis channel panel she said she was aiming for february or march 2023 return which is now uh, but she was cautious about it she's been dealing with this left foot injury And it was all, uh, you know, very up in the air, this interview. She said she will be working with Andrew Bettles, who was a coach who worked with Alina Svitolina for five years. But to me, like, you can Google it. It felt like the interview was really just a promo for her partnership with this uh, virtual reality tennis product called Sense Arena. She seemed to be hedging about her return. I don't think she knows. So I don't know, like... this was such a mystery to me. At some point, I had just assumed she's never coming back. No, I, I haven't. No, I I mean, this interview gave me a little hope, but it's been so long, right? It's been since August of 2021. Uh, I want her to come back. I like watching her play. Initially, we thought we'd throw in some mailbag questions at the end of this episode, but we kind of got through a full episode. And so I think what we'll do is... Maybe Thursday we'll record a mailbag episode and then release that whenever is timely. We will? Yeah. Okay. Before we wrap, just want to say that I'm so, so happy and relieved that Michelle Yeoh won the Oscar for Best Actress. It was an incredibly competitive race, as usual. Uh, There were arguments for, (laughs) for Kate. Both put in stunning performances, but I... I just want us to like acknowledge the versatility that's required by Michelle's role in everything, everywhere, all at once. It literally gave everything. Yeah. She, it had the range. Not many 
could do what she did in that role. No, and it's the type of role that's not often honored by the Academy, which makes it more exciting. It's not, this is not like an acknowledgement of someone's career. This is an acknowledgement of how impressive this one performance was. Unlike Best Supporting Actress, but honestly, that was the only low light of the evening for me. It was so disappointing. Um, love Jamie Lee Curtis. She should have gotten Oscar nominations for what well, definitely for Freaky Friday, probably True Lies. Like she should have been honored before, and it's very, very, very frustrating that they gave her this popularity award for a role that was just not, it's not an awards role. Like she did what she was supposed to do, but if you go back and watch the movie, it's just, it's shocking to me. Well, like Angela Bassett does not have Academy Award winner in front of her name. That's sick. That is really sick. And then the people out here policing her reaction in the moment. Oh. As if she can't take a second to let it sink right. in that this has happened again. What's love got to do with it? And she sat in the front row and beamed the entire rest of the night. Yeah. Right? But you got to police her reaction within one second of losing an Oscar to a performance that was fine. Because she was not the best supporting actress in her own movie. Sorry. Shout out to Stephanie Shu. Exactly. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter. <laughs> At tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. This is the Body Serve. You can find everything Body Serve related at linktree.com slash the Body Serve. We have no idea what the next episode will be, when it will be, even though I just said mailbag episode recording Thursday. Uh, <laughs> TBD. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.